Good morning. Glad you're here this morning. Luke is in Austria. One of our ministry partners is TCM. We support the work of, of a House Edelweiss, which is a graduate school in Eastern Europe training church planters and church leaders. So he spoke last night there. He left Wednesday. He, come back, he's come back, uh, he comes back tomorrow night. And so we've been emailing back and forth. He has fallen in, play, fallen in love with the place and the students just like the rest of us who have been there. He preached this morning. That's a while ago now for him, but uh, it's been uh, great to hear his joy through email. He'll be, uh, he'll be back tomorrow night, so pray for his safe return. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. We continue our study in this uh, great historical treatment of how the church began and what the church is about. This week, coming week, marks Plainfield Christian Church's 190th birthday. That is quite a milestone, isn't it? I don't, I don't think Plainfield was a town until 1831, so two years before it was actually a town. Uh, the church was here, 17 people started it. And, you know, we didn't get here 190 years later without, with people without a vision or without their willingness to take risks. We get to be here because of people who have gone before us, lived their faith with intentionality, and as God, as God moves us forward, it's going to call, it calls for the same kind of people, people who live and operate their lives of faith with intention and by taking risks. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the very first week we began this study, we read this verse, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's the outline of the book of Acts, that Dr. Luke, not our Luke Proctor, but Luke, a doctor from the first century, wrote, and God has preserved it for us. That's a long time ago, a lot of miles from here, but this is the reason we're here today, is that, that God did something amazing as he rescued people and gave them new life to live. And we get to live that same life today. Now, chapter 13 here marks a turning point because it seems to me that up until now, God was always, he seemed to be doing something unusual to spur the church forward. Uh, Christ came because we have all rebelled against God. We, 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 are all, we, we are all filled with shame and guilt because we have not lived according to our, uh, the purpose for our being created. We were created to be in a relationship with God, our creator. And when we function outside of that, we, we, we really destroy ourselves. And we lack direction, purpose, and destination. Jesus came to restore our lives and to put them back into working order. Now, on Acts chapter 2, what did God do? He showed up by his Holy Spirit, and, and there was like something that looked like fire that was on top of these men, and they began to speak in languages they'd never been trained in. It was an unusual, a momentous occasion when 3,000 people were baptized that day. And then we see in Acts chapter 8, that there was great persecution that had grown out. And because of their need for safety, believers, these new believers, went everywhere. And as they went everywhere, they took the love of Christ with them. And they started, they started these, these churches wherever they went. And they told other people about what Jesus had done on the cross. And then we come to chapter 9. And, he, he, and God shows up 
intervening in Saul's life and the man who was putting Christians in prison and killing them, seeing to their, their, their abuse. And his life was turned upside down because God intervened. And then in chapter 10, there were two different men who had dreams, and they got together. And Peter, the apostle, learned on that occasion that God does not show favoritism, that he wants all people to come to a saving knowledge of who he is. Every one of these occasions, God is doing something intriguing, very interesting to interrupt what was happening. But now, in chapter 13, it happens in a different way. God is still certainly involved, but it's as his people are gathered together, it seems to me to be doing the will of the Lord. Now, here's Acts 13, verses 1 through 3. And the church at Antioch, let's stop there. Here's a map. Let me show you this map. This is, this is what we're talking about in chapters 13 and 14 of Acts. Clear on the far east there, there's a red dot. That's Antioch. Do you know there are like 16 Antiochs in the, old, in the ancient world, biblical world? You know there, do you know there are 17 plain fields in the world? And there are 33 Avons in the world. Did you know that? Well, aren't you glad you came today? You would not have known that. You're going to come. This is, this, is, uh, this is Syrian Antioch. This is in the south of what we know as, as uh, Turkey today. And believers had gotten to Antioch out of that persecution time. Chapter 11 tells us, we didn't look at, study chapter 11. But, believe, but pe- believers got to Antioch. And when they got there, they settled and they became a church Barnabas heard about it, and so he went there to encourage them, and then he asked Saul to come join them. So they're there. That's where they are, and that's where they're going to be traveling on this first journey together, Saul and Barnabas' great uh, team of church planters. So back to our text. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, now Barnabas is a Jew from from Cyprus, the island. Simeon, called Niger probably a black man from Africa, Lucius of Cyrene. Lucius is a Roman name. He's from Cyrene, must have grown up there, perhaps a black man from Africa or not necessarily. Uh, Menaean, who's a Jew, he's been shaped by Greek culture in that world. He was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. There's Saul, who we come to know as Paul the Apostle, the same man. His name was Saul because he's going to be in a Gentile world. We assume he was called Paul because Paul is a Roman name. Saul is a Jewish name. So he's from Tarsus, grew up in this Roman uh, community of Tarsus. So he's a Roman citizen, but of late he's from Jerusalem. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So we have these people, of, these men of various nationalities. They are of various educational backgrounds. They have varied gifts, all followers of Jesus, all united in worship. And out of that setting, the Holy Spirit speaks. Now, we don't know if, God, if the Holy Spirit spoke audibly or if it was a united burden that they all felt together, something impressed upon them that they needed to do. That's what I tend to believe it was, but it could have been some miraculous voice. But these people were so sold out to Jesus, I think it was out of, out of being together, being gathered together, this is what happened. Now, you know, this, what we're looking at 
is, is about, about God being on the move. It's about moving from worship to being a witness. And that's important for us to, to, to really understand. You know, I preached sermons in my preaching career that had, thing, had to do with getting to church and being prepared to go to church. And I preached sermons about being in church and being in worship. I've never preached a sermon about walking out of church. But that's what this sermon is about. It's about what do we learn today about walking out those doors into a very different culture than the one we, by which we live in this community of faith in Jesus. It's two different kingdoms, the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of, of our Lord, of the Lord God. So how does God want us to walk out of here? Because I believe that worship is the fuel to do his work. When we meet with God and get close to the heart of God, he not only changes us in our lives and the quality of our lives, but he gives us something to do. And if we walk out of here without, without any burden that God has for the world, then I question whether we have worshipped very sincerely. So here's how, here, here's how to leave church today. First, expect responses to the gospel. Expect responses to the gospel. So um, here is chapter, chapter 13, verse 4. The two of them, that's Saul and Barnabas, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bargesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elamus, the sorcerer, for that's what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who's also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elamus and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. And will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind for a time. And not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him. And he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Now, so, Sergius Paulus was like a governor of the island. Here's an intelligent man, a man of position. He's going to be a man of great influence. Every single person is of equal worth in the kingdom of God. Every person has equal worth in the world because we're created in the image of God. Saul and Barnabas needed someone to receive the gospel just as a little fuel to prompt them forward. I have people come to me and say, you know, I get so discouraged. I try to talk about the Lord to people and nobody seems interested. And that's true. The Bible says most people won't be. But all it takes is one conversation you have with somebody who is ready to hear and ready to consider who Jesus is and what he came to do. I tell you, that's enough to give you fuel to keep going. So don't give up in trying to have those conversations with people and don't write people off. Who would have thought that the governor of the island would be the one to respond? But he is exactly that. Second of all, leave church expecting spiritual opposition. 
When you develop a mindset and a heart for people, the same kind of heart that God has, you are put on the front lines of the action. And the evil one will not like it. Now, he, Satan is powerful. He's not nearly as powerful as God. He's not everywhere at all times like God is. He doesn't see everything like God does. He's not all powerful as God is, but he is subtle. And he's able to do some things. And he's out to destroy your life. He's out to destroy your confidence in the Lord. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to take you down. He wants to make our world a more broken world all the time. He's a fierce opponent to the good news of Jesus. Elamus got all stirred up. He was used by Satan. And sometimes it was religious people that opposed the good news of Jesus as it traveled. When they got when they got to a, the place called Pisidian Antioch, they were run out of town. When they traveled to Iconium, if you, read, if you would read later chapters in 13 and 14, you'll see the Jewish and Gentile leaders plotted to stone them. They healed a, a, a lame man, a crippled man at the town of Lystra. He was healed. They began worshiping. They wanted to worship. They bowed down to Saul and Barnabas, and they had to get him. I said, don't worship us. We're just mere men. What a great time for, for Satan to use the egos of Saul and Barnabas to pump them up and to, and to sideline them. But he, they, did, they didn't fall prey to that. Um, and the, the, the Jews, uh, the Jewish leaders preyed upon Saul and Barnabas, sabotaging their ministry at Iconium and stirring up the people against them. Uh, there they, drug, they dragged Saul out of town and they stoned him, leaving him for dead. I mean, it's, it's, it's over and over again. That's the story of Saul's life. Mission and ministry is not for weak-willed people. It's not for milk toast believers. It's not for immature people or people who are simply well-meaning. Christ calls us to a different kind of life, a life that we are sold out to helping people get to know their creator, to understand the power of Jesus. It's what we all have to be prepared for, this evil one who opposes us at every turn in this kingdom life. Third, leave church here expecting hardship from life circumstances. Verses 13 and 14 read, From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. Now, we don't know why John left them. Many scholars believe that the, the travel was just too arduous for John. In fact, later on, Saul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas are getting ready for their second missionary journey. And Barnabas says, hey, Paul, John wants to go with us again. And Paul says, nothing doing. You know, he was, he was baggage for us before, and we, we can't do that. And so Paul and Barnabas part ways later on, and Barnabas takes John, and then it's when Paul takes Silas. But, but the efforts for the gospel just multiply. And so all that to say is the journey with Christ doesn't mean it's an easy ride. There are life circumstances that even the evil one will use to weigh you down. You know, uh, Pisidian Antioch was, was in a, a rough area. If you were to travel there today, you would do so in an air-conditioned bus. You would travel on a road, but it wouldn't look like this. Uh, th this is a couple of the Roman roads that still exist on the way to Pisidian Antioch. Uh, Paul would have traveled this road mostly by foot, 150 miles 3,600-foot ascent. It's a hot, 
sticky place. It's not an attractive place. It's, it's called the Via Sebast in that first century. That's the name of this particular road. And you look at that in other places Paul traveled, and you think, why? I mean, why, why would you look at this seemingly remote place to, to, to carry this gospel? And one reason, there are people there. Now, there are some researchers that suggest Sergius Paulus had some relatives there, and he really encouraged uh, Saul and Barnabas to go there because he wanted his family members to hear the gospel as well. Maybe that's true. We're not sure. There are, 17 and a half, there are seven and a half billion people in our world today. There are over 17,000 different distinct people, groups, ethnicities. Of those, 41% of those people groups do not have available the good news of Jesus. And here we are with tons of resources and energy and education, and we have the good news. And we are to be a church that cares deeply about the people groups of the world and about the people even in our world close to us that need good news. I was so humbled a few weeks ago when, when Ryan and Sarah Hardy were up here. I mean, in first service, they had their kids with them, these toddlers, you know, squirrely kids all over them. And I was as struck by that as anything. And they're taking these two preschoolers and they're traveling to Papua New Guinea to reach a people group that did not have the Bible in their language. And I'm thinking, what faith? Talk about risk for the gospel. I think about the John and Ruth Chestnut that went to the Balkans like 12 or 13 years ago in a heavily Muslim populated area of the world where they get a vague trickle of converts to Jesus Christ. But, but they're there faithfully doing what God called them to do. Jill Shaw is in New Zealand today. You know, we support her. And she's in this terribly, heavily humanistic society with no concept of creator God and a God who came to live among us to bring us to himself. What a, a challenging work she has, but she's just loving people where they are, building relationships to get them to Jesus. It's no different than what you are called to and I'm called to when we walk out these doors. We have an increasingly godless society, and we are called to love people to new life in Jesus, as Riley has reminded us at the beginning of this service today. One of the indications that we have worshiped together is that we have the burden that God does for the world. Because God does not want anybody to perish. He doesn't want to lose anybody for eternity. He wants every person, the person farthest away from him, to be at his feet and around his throne, worshiping him and serving him forever and ever. When you leave church today, also expect to repackage the gospel. Repackage it. You can't say it like we say it together when we're uh, in Bible studies or in worship together. You know, when, when Paul traveled to these different places, he often started with the synagogues because that's where he found Jewish people who understood the prophecies of the Old Testament and that there was a Messiah coming to the world. So they had, they had a starting point. A couple weeks from now, we're going to be in Athens traveling with Paul. When he goes there, he has a total different approach when he goes to Athens because they didn't have that. They didn't have that same understanding. Uh, they, he went to, moved among a Greek world where they sacrificed animals to gods like Zeus and Hermes. Well, it calls for a different approach. Just like in our world today, 
the, the, the message doesn't change, but how we frame it changes. One missionary to Papua New Guinea was telling about the prodigal son and how he wasted his father's inheritance and went to live among the pigs. But in that particular culture, he learned that pigs were more highly valued than wives. So when they heard the story, they thought, hey, that's pretty cool. He got to live with pigs. And so the story kind of lost its point, right? And so the, the missionary had to learn how to reframe the story. It's the same message, but had to tell it differently. We have to learn to tell the story of Jesus differently in our world today. And I wish I had time to go into this today. It's a whole study by itself. Those who study such things say that we were in a modern culture, the modern world, was the 1600s to about 1980. From 1980 to today, we in an increasingly what's called a postmodern culture, a postmodern society. Now, I can't go into all what that means, but and what it means. What's the difference between a modern society and postmodern? You can Google it. You can research it some yourself. But but it, it means that to communicate in our gospel is far different than it used to be. Like the way I do ministry today is far different than the 70s when I began ministry, the way I talk to people and relate to people. So let, let me give you some pointers. Here's a few. I can just touch on them briefly. First of all, we have to view evangelism as a lifestyle, not an activity. It's not something we turn off and on or think about sometimes and don't think about because as a lifestyle, it's about building trust with people. And we have to build margin in our lives to gain that trust with people because people today in our culture do not trust the church and, and people who follow Jesus as they once did. There used to be a high regard for people who called themselves Christians. That's not true anymore in our particular culture. We are viewed as being intolerant. We are, talk, we, we are viewed as being closed-minded and narrow. And as we build relationships with people, we have a chance to help them understand that we're not that, but we are sold out to Jesus. Second, we have to ad adjust our testimony. Um, uh, in our it used to be when you could tell your testimony, it was all about what Jesus has done for you. Now, you need to get there. But people in our culture are more concerned with what you wrestle with and struggle with in the course of your faith than having all of it worked out. If we come across in our world today that we've got it all figured out and we have the answers, we're typically shut down. What people resonate with is that we don't have it all figured out. There's some things we're sure about, but it doesn't mean we have the answers to everything. But we have an opportunity to talk about what a difference faith makes in all of this. Uh, third, we have to emphasize salvation. I'm sorry. So yeah, salvation differently. We emphasize salvation differently. It used to be when I spoke with people, I could warn them about hell. Or tell them about the glory of heaven. Or, or talk about being saved from sin. Which all that's true. But what, what better resonates in our world today is the concept of peace. Because how much we know in the world today, we're, we're, we're in a world that is falling apart. We know about world issues and conflicts in the world. Our nation is in turmoil. We see an increasing number of families breaking apart. 
We, we, we see our children at risk. And we fear for our children as they grow up and what kind of world they'll be living in, right? All the time, our grandchildren and the generations beyond them. And peace is a resounding plea of the heart and need of the heart. And that's a better beginning point for people. We emphasize sin differently. You know, when I was first in ministry, I could address sin, and, and people hung their heads. They knew what sin. That was a time in our culture when we had moral absolutes. We do not have moral absolutes in our country anymore, in our world. And therefore, to talk about sin falls apart. But what people do resonate with is the word shame. Everybody has a sense of shame and of guilt Whatever their standard is by which they live, whatever that standard is, there is a sense that all is not well within me. And so in a world where there's no absolutes, I would suggest that we, 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 we somehow find a way to resonate with people, understanding there's something, there's a loss in me that I'm not the person that I need to be. Next, adapt to the postmodern age. You know, uh, missionaries have to adapt where they, where they are sent, and we have to as well. There used to be a time when I often began with people, we're just going to study the Bible. Now we have to get to the Word. I'm not trying to uh, downplay the Word. I'm just saying in our world today, that's no longer a starting point for me. I have to start with, I have to start with story. I have to start with my own, my own journey my own wrestling with God, when it was that faith became my own, it wasn't just my parents' faith, and how I got there, the questions that I, I still struggle with, because people resonate no longer with objective truth, because their response is, well, what's true for you isn't necessarily what's true for me. But what they do listen to is people's stories, about how we got to where we are, how we, how, we, how we figured out, how we tried other things that didn't deliver, how we found emptiness when we tried other routes to make life work. That's what they want to hear. You know, there was a time. You know, I like to cook. I like to cook as, a, as a, just a relaxing thing. I like to create things, all that. There used to be a time when I cooked, you know, or my wife cooked or some of you cooked, you went to the recipe book, right? People don't do that. My kids love, and I don't know if Allison does, but, but do you like the Food Network? No, you don't. But Chelsea and, and Justin do. They love the Food Network. I don't get it. You know, or you go to Pinterest, you have to scroll to get to the recipe, right? And they just give me the recipe. Instead, well, they, they write pages about a, how to make the recipe. I don't care your story. <laughs> but, you know, in our world today, that connects with people. And so my, 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 two of my three will watch a food show to get to this one blasted recipe. I don't have time for that. Just give it to me. In, in our world, story resonates with people. Have you ever written down your story? Have you actually put in words your story of your life in Christ? I did that with five middle schoolers last night. It was pretty cool. And I gave them a template to follow. And here they are, seventh day, there was, there was one high school girl, but the rest of them were middle schoolers. It was amazing what they told about their journey to Jesus and the pains they have gone through. 
And we all need to do that. You need to write your journey. You need to write down your testimony so you get ready to share it. It's so important. And should we be surprised? When Jesus was here, what did he do? You know, realize he didn't really denounce sin a lot. He did, but that wasn't primarily his message. His message was redemption. His message was hope. His message was knowing his Father in heaven. His message was about life, not condemnation and guilt. He, he lifted them up to something better. And how did he do that? He told stories so that when you walked away from him, you had to think about that story because story is what resonates with people. So that means when you leave, and as you repackage the gospel, move away from arguments, debates, and defense to hospitality. This is why hospitality is at the very core of our vision. If we're going to engage this culture, we have to open our lives and our homes to people because they have to see how we live, how we treat our wives, how we treat our husbands, how we treat our kids and grandkids, how we deal with work pressures. They have to see the reality of Jesus in a person's life, what it looks like. That's why hospitality is so important in our world today. So I hope you are laying down your homes. When you do that, let us know, and we'll put your location on that map in the hub. It's so important that we learn this. And finally, exercise patience with those on the journey to Christ. It takes a long time to build these relationships of trust. It's a series of moments along the journey, and this is the unusual thing today, that first people have to sense they belong to a family of faith before they believe in Jesus. That's just true. That's how we are. We have to embrace people and love people there, there and, and where they are and welcome them here in our midst and among us. And in time, they get to belief in Jesus. That's, how, that's not how it used to, be. it used to be. You believe in Jesus, then we welcome you in. No, we want to welcome people and so that they find an easy way to get to Jesus. And finally, expect God to use you for the gospel. Expect God to use you when you walk out of here. The good news of Jesus. I don't know where you are today. Some of you are alive in Christ and Jesus, your people on mission. Some of you are nominal in your faith. You check in on Sunday and you live a different life during the week. I hope increasingly you're encouraged here to make Jesus Lord of your life every day. Some of you perhaps are here because of emptiness. You're just empty. Life's not working. You got a lot of things going. Maybe life isn't working and you've recognized that. You could be all over the page. This is the centerpiece. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. And he gives us an abundant life that we can't get anywhere else. You all got ready to get here today. You got, all got ready to come to church, didn't you? I know, because I'm looking at you. You're looking pretty good today. And I'm hoping in our continuing worship that you are a good worshiper today. But what God cares more about is not how you got here, what you did to get here, and how you've been sitting here. What he really cares about is who we'll be when we walk out of these doors. So let's be devoted to him through and through and be used for the glory of Jesus. And finally, if anybody's here and you want Jesus, he, he commands to be baptized into him, just like the video showed those pictures, and to be resurrected to a brand new life. If you're not there yet, let us walk with you toward that great day. It's time to get up and worship on your feet. Let's praise God.